Welcome to The Spawn Chunks, episode number 116 for Monday, November 23rd, 2020. My name is Joel Duggan, and joining me, as always, is my friend Johnny, but you may know him better as Pixel Riffs. Hello, sir. Hello. Welcome into a show, and if you are interested in more of a show, uh, where you can hear a little bit about Joel's Mac and PC woes and recommendations for backing up your data this Black Friday, you can get that at The Render Distance, which is the extended version of the podcast you can get that from patreon.com slash the spawn chunks signing up at any level there gets you uh, access to our discord where you can even listen to the show live as many people are doing right now and listen to a little bit of extra podcast on top of that in your rss feed of choice uh so aside from uh from pc and mac woes joel what have you been up to this week have you had a chance to uh to get in there and play some minecraft I have had more than a chance, as a matter of fact. Uh, it's one of the nice things about what I do these days is that when um, one system and method of workflow is down, I can just ramp up the other one. And mm-hmm. so uh, it's been good because I've been really excited about actually what I've been doing in Minecraft. I, I've moved into this medieval realm that I've talked about on the on the um, podcast a few times. Uh, and actually, I want to give a shout out to a lot of the listeners that have been coming by the stream because it's been really cool to see like, oh my gosh, first time here, but I listen to you on the Spawn Chunks all the time. It's really fun. It never gets old. Always say hi and always tell me where you're from because it, it's just a fun little thing to do when you're streaming. Uh, but I've been spending a lot of time uh, with this Force Dance time uh, in the medieval realm on the server. I'm really happy with the way things have come together. The, um, the farmhouse that I've been working on the last few weeks is done. Uh, there is a little bit of maybe front path stuff that has to happen, but I can't do that until I know what's happening with the road. So like, you know how, when you design these large areas where you kind of get stuck, where you have to finish one thing before you can figure out how they attach. Yeah, you know? yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So I've got that, that, so I mean, really it's, it's finished. And what's really nice about it is I made this angled barn and then I created the underside part of it uh, into a player zone. So it is a, it's just, it's not really medieval. It's more player utility. Like there's chests and ender chests and anvils and furnaces and just there's just stuff for people to like sleep and hang their hat if they come to build in the area yeah yeah uh so that works out really well uh then across the road i started a uh water wheel mill a wheat mill this week and uh i've got a couple pictures of it here in the discord and i i'm really happy with the way that this turned out i i did something i learned something by by texturing the roof of the farm and I used birch and oak and kind of like speckled the roof of this new building so that it looked like it was a little bit more worn. Mm-hmm. And uh, it looks so much better than just one color. Uh, and then I did a thatched roof on another angled barn. I guess I wasn't I, I wasn't done with my punishment. I decided to do another angled barn. <laughs> You're just going to uh, be like the angled barn guy by the end of this. Everyone's everyone's going to come to you for their angled barn needs. Yeah, exactly. I mean, there's there's a way to do it where the gables are taller than the roof, and it just does make it a little bit simple because I don't find the edge of a roof looks very good when it's angled. Yeah. Uh, if you want to do any kind of overhang, it really looks chunky unless you're doing something massive. Um, but anyway, this the water wheel is what really you know, took my, um, my attention because it it took a while to get right. There's a lot of trial and error. If you want to check out the real process of designing this live on stream, then you can check out the VODs, but uh, I'm really happy with it. The wheel is nine blocks wide, not seven. Mm -hmm. A lot of times when you look up, like, cause I was thinking like, well, I wanted this to be my own design, but I kind of, I also want to look and see what other people have done. And, uh, a lot of times seven is like the go-to for a water wheel. And uh, I have the advantage of uh, now planning this, the second water wheel I've actually designed. This time we've got waterlogged blocks. 
Yeah. So I can actually have the water wheel go down into the water, which means that I could make a bigger one and have it not be any higher. I could just like dip it down into the water. And so uh, it took a little while to get right, but I'm, I'm quite happy with it. And uh, things like barrels and uh, new blocks I didn't have two years ago have made a big difference in, in designing it. So I'm really happy with it. it, it the, the building does have it in, inside. It's, it's quite tight. It's like a six, a five by five or a seven by seven maybe inside. So it's not a lot of room. Um, but, uh, the one thing that's left to do, uh, currently is I've decided, uh, to make an angled bridge over the canal. It's, it's got the cobblestone frame in right now. I like the shape of it, whether or not I can texture it and have it look good. I need to learn a little bit more about these angled bridges because I see folks that I've played with on servers before, like, uh, like whip and Jermsey boy and, you know, um, uh, fix it front of the show, like have, have they've done these angled bridges before and they look fantastic. Uh, but I have to brush up on them because I'm, I'm happy with it. I got the concept down, but I just, I don't know how to finish it and, and have it not look too weird. Yeah. So, um, but I, I like the feel of it. It's just, it feels good that it's on an angle. It would make sense that it would be. Um, but yeah, it's, it's been a lot of fun. I've, I, I like these new challenges that I've kind of set out before my, you know, before myself on, on the server. Yeah, I'm looking at your use of stairs in the water wheel, and of course, like with with a water wheel, you have to design it slightly differently to just a plain circle. Because if you think about the the practicalities of it being a water wheel, it's got to have scoops so that the water mm-hmm. comes up and over, and it kind of propels itself naturally through that that kind of continuous motion of the water. And that's um yeah that that's not easy to do when you're used to building circles to build something that still looks like perfectly round but also has all of these ridges in it um yeah so so that's pretty cool and i was having similar struggles with stairs myself um this this week because i was finishing up i'm I'm trying to finish up the early game part of my museum build which is the central kind of ring of rooms around the the main hall and anywhere you go off from there you get to an aspect of the early game and so progressing through the museum from the main entrance is kind of like progressing through minecraft in that you have to go through some of the earlier stages to get to stuff like the nether and the end and a a bit more complex concepts that are out there and so i've been working on a room which explains to the player visually instead of having you know books everywhere and signs that you just have to stand there and read Uh, to explain a little bit more about how to craft tools and what they do. So I've got um, more of like a warehouse-style layout to this place, and there are effectively little crafting stations around the room, almost like if you go to a museum and they have a more kind of like kids' play area kind of thing, where kids can just like you know, sit around on the floor and draw stuff and scribble and play with things. I've got this set up so there are little podiums uh, with crafting tables and chests that have the ingredients kind of laid out for you and a crafting recipe in the middle so you can kind of see what, what you're supposed to be building and a giant sign above it with like a 4x4 or kind of 4x5 um, almost like pixel art representation of the tool you're building at that particular workstation. And then I, I settled on a really good design for the pickaxe nice and early which was just like a diagonal uh, sort of stripe of planks just spruce planks and then i used i think iron blocks initially just to make a a right angle that sort of looked like a pickaxe when you put it together it was just the 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 uh, stick of the pickaxe whatever you call it the handle (laughs) i guess couldn't think of the word there for a second and then just the the curved part of the pickaxe and then i tried to do a shovel (laughs) and i realized that like 
on an angle like that, you can't make it look like a shovel. If it's just, you know, three blocks of wood and then one block of iron at the end, that doesn't look like a shovel. It looks like an iron block on the end of a stick. And so <laughs> I, I, I was trying my hardest. I was kind of tearing my hair out over it, trying to figure out how to make these more sort of pixel art representations of the tools that could go on these signs. And I was messing with the scale a little bit, but I didn't want them to be massive. And so I ended up going to smooth quartz as a building material for like the metal part of the tool instead of iron blocks, because then I had stairs that I could work with. And shaping the tools around like that actually lent to some much more nuanced designs. And the shovel still looks like the worst out of all of them, but at least it's vaguely recognizable as a shovel now in mm. context of everything else. So we managed to get the axe looking really good. Um, and then, yeah, the pickaxe, I think, just got some stairs added onto the end to show that it was sort of tapering to a point, you know. But yeah, the, the whole thing took longer than it should have, really, just to make these little pixel art representations of the tools. But then I built a giant wall with all of the different tools in all of the tiers of material, uh, all six, now that we have netherite as well, and, and that turned out pretty well. And then I decorated the whole thing in a kind of more of like a, like I said, a warehouse style theme where it's like brick walls and brick and light gray terracotta I've found go really well together because some of the, the darker patches in the mortar of the brick texture look a lot like the same color as, as light gray terracotta. So I did nice. a bit of that, added some sandstone, added some stripped oak wood, and that's all coming together now. And I have two more rooms left of the the sort of early game uh, rooms of the museum which are i think going to focus on armor and the the other tools like shears and buckets and fishing rods and bows and the kind of stuff that isn't just like here is a set of materials that make six different you know types of thing uh mm. and then i think it's going to go into acquiring diamond a little bit about enchanting and then going to the nether so it's like now you can get obsidian and then that room branches out into the exhibit that's all about the nether so I've I've got a lot of a lot of stuff planned for this museum so far, and it is slowly but surely coming to fruition. This would be an obscene amount of work. I realize I'm saying this to someone with a netherite beacon, but uh -huh. yeah, uh, you could. Would it be possible to do like map art and make like you know the instructions that come with Lego? Yeah, it's just, I, it's just images. I have considered doing something like that, or creating a texture pack where I've retextured paintings or something like that. But yeah, yeah. I, th I think ultimately it does come down to the sheer amount of work it is. The the one map mm. art thing I want to do for the museum is a floor plan of some kind once the entire thing is actually built. So you can pick up a map and it actually has like a, a museum guide would have, you know, like a floor oh, plan. Oh yeah, of like, that'd be really cool. This is where all of the exhibits are and, and just kind of like dotted lines around everything and paths through that will take you to different areas. But yeah, that's, that's going to be a lot of work in itself and it may end up being just one larger map art piece attached to a wall somewhere that i can just clone and have that be all over the place as a you are here kind of you know mm. dot on it instead of something you can walk around with in your hand because it's going to be massive um, yeah and and my goal at this point is just to get the museum done before 1.17 i'm not really thinking about a whole lot else right now uh, so you'll mm. probably hear more and more updates about this over the next few weeks of the podcast if uh, hopefully the pace continues as it is right now it's a really cool project and it's a really fitting and uh, complimentary project to the survival guide. Like to yeah. have this be like the big kind of like 
this is probably the last thing you're doing in 116 before 117 comes out. Yeah. It's a nice crown on the achievement of the Survival Guide Series 1, if yeah. that's what we're calling yeah, yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. You know? and, and considering I'm planning on making a Season 2 basically as soon as 117 comes out, it would be really nice to kind of cut the ribbon on the museum project, do a tour, and then, you know, yeah. s- stroll off into the sunset and start Season 2. I don't know if the timing <laughs> is going to line up at all, um, because, yeah, I, I might be underestimating how long is left or overestimating my own ability, but I'm, I'm going to try my hardest, and it's going to be, like you said, uh, just a really fun project and something that feels like it thematically sums up what we've been doing with the Survival Guide series the whole time for me. Yeah, so. nice. For sure. I'm looking forward to seeing more of it. Uh, we have a fair bit of, of news, but also a fair bit of email to get through this week. Uh, do you want to jump on the news? Yes, absolutely. Uh, so there isn't a snapshot this week is the main thing, although we do have a little bit of stuff to cover later on about some stuff the developers have been tweeting about features they've been working on. So really exciting to see where some of that stuff is headed. But in the meantime, there has been some news and a lot of it kind of concerns console players right now. So Uh, We're going to start off with servers and realms coming to PlayStation at long last. So up until this point, servers and realms for Bedrock Edition were not accessible for PS4 players and presumably PS5 players because you can play the PS4 version of Minecraft via backwards compatibility if you're lucky enough to have got yourself a PS5 at this point. Um, But now realms and servers are going to be accessible on PlayStation and there is a link in the show notes of course to the Minecraft.net article where that is gone into in more detail. I think that broke sometime around the 18th 19th of november and i believe the features are already accessible now in order to access any online multiplayer features you do need a playstation plus subscription which is fairly standard across the whole platform but i think that is still also compatible with any other servers and realms that are already out there on bedrock edition so if your friend has an xbox uh xbox one or xbox series x or s realm uh you can now join that from your ps4 or ps5 that should be possible now uh so that's very good news for playstation players i know they've been asking for that for a while uh the next thing comes up that i think is kind of tied into this and i'll get into that in a second is an article about moderating minecraft and how the minecraft team creates a safe place for the community uh i'm not going to read the full article here of course but it explains that mojang has employed community moderators for a while but that they now have the ability to quote ban players who do not follow our community guidelines when sending online messages using our services realms or featured servers and communicating online through signposts and books currently moderators can hand out permanent bans that extend to all versions of minecraft except for minecraft dungeons in order to target severe offenses meant to cause harm to others We are also working on introducing temporary bans for lesser offences. There is also a link in this article to an FAQ page about why an account may be banned and uh, a little bit more of the procedure that goes on there. It's worth noting that bans, when they occur for this kind of severity, are uh, not negotiable. Uh, They are permanent and you can't appeal to support uh, in order to get your account unbanned or anything. So uh, it's it's for the most serious cases from what I understand, but it's interesting to read that through and understand Mojang and Minecraft Teams' approach to moderation. 
moving on to the last bit that I wanted to cover in the news, we have cross-platform play coming to Minecraft Dungeons at long last. Uh, Windows, Nintendo Switch, Xbox, and PlayStation players can now all play together. Once again, an FAQ linked in the Minecraft.net article explains how to enable that if you're not sure, if it's your first time with a cross-platform experience. Basically, it means if you've got a PlayStation or a Nintendo Switch, you need to make sure your account is linked to a Microsoft account, which is how Microsoft networks a lot of other stuff for, for Xbox and Windows. Uh, in related cross-platform news, the article says, Cloud saves are also coming soon to Minecraft Dungeons. That means you'll be able to play on one platform, use the new cloud save feature, then pick up the game and your progress on another platform. While we don't have a launch date set for this feature, our team is hard at work and very excited to bring it to life in an upcoming free update. There is also a YouTube trailer out there that's also linked in the article uh, that's basically just hyping people up for cross-play finally being possible. And this is something that we saw very briefly on the uh, the stage show for Minecraft Live as well, so excited to see that cross-platform play is finally making its way in Minecraft Dungeons. D did I miss the date? I thought the cross-play was already live. Yeah, I think it is. I'm pretty sure. It oh, is. it's 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 the it's the cloud saves. That's yeah, cl that's cloud saves is, is a different thing. So if yeah. you're if you're playing on Windows like we are right now, and we got a say you know you're, you're planning on still getting an xbox series x at some point you could then nice. save to the cloud it'd be saved with your microsoft account you'd be able to pick up where you left off on your xbox currently not oh. possible but will be possible in future um and if you had a yeah an xbox player and a windows player playing together they can play together now nice okay yeah yeah that makes a lot of sense i've got friends that uh the only access that they have to dungeons is because they have a switch in the house yeah because they're mac users uh, and so they don't have they have access to Minecraft via Java, but they don't have access to to dungeons. Yeah. Uh, or they did because it's it's on Switch, but then it's like, well, you're playing by yourself or maybe another Switch friend. Uh, but if most of your Minecraft friends are actually through Minecraft, uh, then they're playing dungeons either on Xbox or PC most of the time. And so to be able to play and bring some of my Switch friends on board to play dungeons is awesome. And I'm I am definitely excited about the ability to uh play dungeons on my couch but then have that progress not be lost or something i have to redo on the pc uh yeah. heck yes like mm -hmm. that i am on board <laughs> uh because i i think i like dungeons but i'm the more i think about playing it the less i want to sit at the pc and play it if mm -hmm. that makes sense like i kind of want to lean back on the couch and wail on some zombies that's kind of my it definitely is my a, feel. it's a more arcade experience it feels like a more console mm -hmm. experience to me and I, I can't play it with a keyboard and mouse i have to use a controller because it just <laughs> it feels like one of those kind of games and i think yeah for, from my personal perspective having played a little bit of uh couch co-op through the pc and running into that problem i mentioned before where if you open your inventory yep. as one player the second player's entire screen gets taken up i also have a nintendo switch and a ps4 in the house and it'd be great to have a copy of minecraft dungeons on that so we could couch co-op but linked online so that we didn't encounter that problem and so that's right. now possible without having a whole second PC running Minecraft Dungeons. I think it's just going to open up a lot of different ways people can interact with each other in the game. And it's going to mean that, you know, families or people who are separated right now but still want to play together can uh, can enjoy Minecraft Dungeons to the fullest. I also want to tip my hat to the trailer for crossplay. Did you uh, watch this? At all? I, di I didn't actually, no. I just kind of no. read the article. And so if you look at the thumbnail for the for the um the crossplay trailer um you can kind of pick out the Xbox player, the PlayStation player, uh the PC player and the Switch player. 
the, the Xbox player being obvious with the green armor. Uh-huh. Um, but it just like they they all start with a Minecraft Dungeons trailer version of the person in real life, whether they were in a PC gaming studio with like neon lights and the keyboard and all that kind of stuff. And then somebody else was on their couch and then somebody else was playing a handheld. They didn't necessarily like show the brands of things in the trailer, but they certainly with the colors and the design and the, and even the, I can't remember exactly how everybody was, but like PS4 was like a magic guy. The, the, the Xbox person was like a bow and arrow person. I think the switch person had the hammer. Like they just, they kind of really designed the characters, both the players at home and then the characters within Minecraft dungeons to represent the different platforms. It was just yeah. clever. It was just mm-hmm. a fun, it's just a fun little trailer. I mean, it's, it's also clear on screen what's going on. They tell you that, Hey, crossplay is happening, but it was just, it was a fun way to look at it. Yeah. I believe uh, in tandem with crossplay finally coming out, I think they've also released a Minecraft dungeon skin pack for the bedrock edition uh, marketplace. So it might be fun to oh, pick nice. that up if you've got a, a particular character you like to play as in in Minecraft Dungeons. Um, Let's move on to unpacking this moderation article because I imagine there is a couple of pieces of this that if people have, uh, you know, had limited experience with playing online before and they see things like moderators can ban you from all versions of Minecraft, you start to feel a little bit tense. And so I wanted to to kind of unpack a little bit more about what that meant. Um, I have a little bit of previous experience with moderating for online games i used to work for disney interactive moderating on club penguin which was a kids virtual world that used to be around and um yeah there was always a lot of misconceptions about who moderators were and what they did and so to kind of clarify what i think this article is going at again haven't had this from the source themselves but uh this is my interpretation of how this this article looks um, I think the moderation term might be a little bit misleading because people often refer to their home server admins. If you play on a Realm or a, a shared sort of server on Java or Bedrock Edition, you might think moderators are the server admins. Uh, I don't think that's the moderators this is referring to. I'm fairly certain that, you know, the average person is not going to be able to ban you from all versions of Minecraft if they ban you from a server. Um, the moderators in question here are going to be Mojang employees or Minecraft team employees rather. Uh, who presumably have the task of sorting through reports from players and determining whether Mojang's community guidelines have been broken. So, um, you know, server realm admins aren't going to and should not have the power to ban you from all versions of Minecraft. It's the kind of thing where another player might report something they consider to be suspicious activity, you know, something that's potentially somebody using a cheat engine to exploit the game or somebody who is otherwise in violation of the community guidelines which includes stuff like hate speech and that kind of stuff um and then that report is going to get sent to somebody at the minecraft team whose job it is to go through those reports look at the context that that stuff took place in and take action as necessary um the article also mentions moderators being able to ban players for violating community guidelines in not just chat messages but also written books and signposts and I assume, again, this is also going to be play- based on player reports because I don't think there are going to be enough people to read through the chat logs, written book text, and signs of every Bedrock server and realm in existence, right? There's just not enough, yeah. not enough people in the world, not enough hours in the day. 
and a player is going to have to flag anything inappropriate to a moderator before the moderator can take any action. Uh, so you aren't going to be permabanned from Minecraft for making a lewd joke in a server full of consenting adults, but if you're making that in a server that's, you know, potentially could be seen as making younger players uncomfortable, then you've just got to, you know, check your behavior at that point, right? Mm -hmm. um, and... A report, as always, is not going to mean an instant ban. Like, moderators are going to look for context, they're going to use their own judgment, and as the article says, there are going to be potentially temporary bans handed out to people for whom the infraction is somewhat less serious, but still something that they need to pay attention to. Um, I think ultimately when every individual Minecraft account is given a free trial of realms and can potentially open that up to total strangers, it's really important that there are ways for players to report anyone who's acting in a way that violates these community guidelines and that they can't get around it by writing in books or on signs right i think that's that's also kind of an important feature here is that while chat text is the kind of thing that you can very easily kind of copy and paste and and draw to people's attention it might be very easy to just put down a sign somewhere and then like break it if you want to erase the evidence you know whereas i feel like it makes a lot of sense that moderators have a chance to look through all of that text because it's very easy to conceal stuff sometimes. And that can be used in good ways. Do you remember the, um, the what was it called? The, the um, library. The, the library uh, build, yeah. The, um, the uncensored, uh, oh, uncensored library. Uncensored library, yeah, I think you're yeah. right. Yeah, yeah, because well, they were using it to share uh, journal artic uh, journalistic articles that would have been banned uh, in the country of origin, but they were able, journalists from that country were able to publish online because it skirted some local laws and it meant that their their voices could be heard. So to deal. And that's and that's the kind of thing we actually saw amplified by the Minecraft website because an article was shared on Minecraft.net about that project and mm -hmm. it was more, you know, advocating for freedom of speech and that kind of stuff. But obviously, you know, that was maybe in violation of what the government was trying to suppress in those countries, whether legally or otherwise. Um, and yeah, it, it feels like this is much more about keeping Minecraft a safe place for the, the broad range of ages that there are out there in the world. Um, I would honestly say, and this is broadly speculation on my part, but this was most likely also a condition of Sony allowing Realms access on PS4 and PS5. Um, Sony has reportedly faced lawsuits in the past for allowing questionable conduct, conduct on their online services. And you remember the, the time when, like, you know, Xbox Live started to come out, PlayStation had its own offering for that, and mm -hmm. everybody's kind of first impression of Xbox Live was that it was where kids went to swear at each other and call each other, like, rude racial slurs when mm -hmm. they were playing Call of Duty, right? And I imagine Sony has tried very hard to shake that image and has done so by taking a very firm stance on online safety within their own platform. Um, and I think that was most likely why cross-platform play wasn't allowed on Sony systems for a very long time. You know, longer-term PS4 players might remember that Bedrock Edition took like two years to actually launch properly on PlayStation. Uh, it came out for the first time with the Better Together update in 2017, and Bedrock Edition only really fully came to PlayStation in 2019 and December of 2019. So it's barely been a year since PlayStation has had Bedrock Edition and now they're finally getting access to Realms. I think because of Mojang's kind of re reaffirmed commitment to making sure these community standards are upheld. I think that's one of the only things that's sold Sony on their ability to, you know, freely allow players to interact with players from other console platforms. 
I think it makes a lot of sense because the the online uh, problem or the the stereotypical online adversary that you have to deal with that's name calling and being that kind of vulgar, unfortunate human yeah. uh, has been like memefied. Like it is, and I would say most of the time it's related to, I don't think, I know what happens on both platforms, but I think PlayStation. Like, I don't think about Xbox. I'm sure it's, like, again, I'm sure it's permeated both. Well, all platforms, really. Uh, but but I think about it as PlayStation. It was even, you, people can correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure that the the joke from uh, Endgame with Thor and Korg playing video games in new oh, they're, um, playing, they're playing full Fallout, aren't they yeah yeah i think it i think i think it's a playstation controller i don't think it's an xbox <laughs> right. controller i think they're playing it on playstation and the ties between marvel and sony for spider-man would make sense but like i think that they were probably thinking oh yeah promotional put a sony playstation in the film and really <laughs> one of the 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 idea is that it's more about like the there's this i can't remember loser man 1857 is back thor and thor has to tell the kid off or something i can't remember exactly how it goes but the but the but the the joke is there and everybody knows that joke like that there's somebody online that's being inappropriate and korg the big kid is is feeling bad and has to get somebody to come on and and he he needs an adult kind of thing yeah 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 yeah. Yeah, so so i think i think despite the fact that this article about we're going to be tougher on moderating stuff sounds a little bit scary the average player is not going to have to worry about that because it's in the interests of your own safety right i think yes the people who need to be concerned about this are the people whose behavior is not up to the community standards to begin with and that is extreme cases it's it's hate speech it's you know people you know throwing around terms that they shouldn't be and ultimately it's the kind of thing that shouldn't be happening on these platforms anyway so i i think the fact that mojang is at least more transparent about the methods they are now using to uh to kind of moderate this whole community is is probably a in the long run a very very good thing yeah Um, well more more tools for moderators to use in online you know guidance compliance or guideline compliance is a good thing. I mean, safety for a, a game that in general has a very young audience uh, is a good thing. Uh, I don't know a lot about online safety. Don't I don't have any kids myself. I'm, I'm safe, but my concerns about safety are usually about security, yeah. not so much about harassment. Um, but it sounds like they're going about it the right way. The only concern that I would have is even if your moderation flags are generated by players, um, even then just because of how popular minecraft is the sheer volume of flags yeah. whether they're good or not like there's also the false flag too and i i know that i know that you can get dinged on youtube for like false copyright claims like mm-hmm. if you if you try to do something that you're not entitled to do and cause a bunch of you know admin problems for youtube and the other users um then you can get uh, a negative um flag on, on you your account a, for get that a strike for that or whatever yeah yeah exactly so hopefully players will use this responsibly but i also hope that they have enough staff just to handle the 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 reports because yeah e- even if you just kind of like err on the side of 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 um honesty and that all reports that come in do need a look I still think there's going to be a lot. Yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah, no. Based on the numbers we used to get at Club Penguin, and Club Penguin had nowhere near the player base that Minecraft yeah. must have right now. I, 
I imagine. Although it, it really depends how much chat is being used on console and mobile platforms because I imagine it still is, but I find it a lot easier personally typing on a keyboard and mouse platform than I do with, yep. you know, an Xbox pad. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, yeah oh, it, it'll really depend and hopefully they won't be absolutely swamped with false flags and, and people just reporting because they think it does something, you know, because they think they're going to get this guy banned just because they don't like him. Um, but yeah, we, we'll we'll wait and see how that and and if if we get no more news about it then hopefully it's good news and hopefully the system is working as intended i doubt we'll hear much more about it but it's good that that article is there to clarify mojang's position on it um and yeah the last thing is of course i guess servers and realms coming to playstation that's that's great i think it's it's wonderful that for a start this is something that players have been asking for a while and i think they've been directly asking mojang as if there's a switch a switch that mojang themselves can flip that the minecraft team is just like okay let's add that part of the code in that we left out for whatever reason i don't think that's really been the case i expect it has been a long negotiation between them and sony and they didn't want to state this too much publicly because they didn't just want to throw sony under the bus <laughs> right mm-hmm. they weren't going to be come out and say like sony is holding this up because they want more stringent community guidelines to be in place and proof that you know their reputation is not going to be tarnished by a few bad apples i think um yeah i think it's good that they've managed to work through that and that now uh playstation players have access to the same experience that people on other platforms do yeah and it makes sense because you know sony players that are minecraft you know players that are young ish um sony wants them to grow up to continue to be playstation players but if you have a really bad experience as a young player on minecraft playing playstation you're just like well i you're going to associate that with the playstation not necessarily minecraft or both you know so it's it's in both parties best interests that everything kind of like that that the the game does become accessible and realms become accessible as more and more things are online play and that all the safety measures are in place definitely uh, let's move on to chunk mail. We've got a bit of a chunk mail dispenser to work through before we get back to uh, what the devs have been tweeting this week. Um, so I'm going to read this first one and second one, actually. We've got two emails from Fildrigar, uh, who's a landscape artist member of our Discord. Seeing them knocking around the Discord every now and again. Uh, the subjects here being Minecraft VR and Rabbit Hide. Greetings, Joel and Johnny. A few weeks ago, you asked people with experience playing Minecraft VR to write in. Four or five years ago, I bought a Gear VR, the kind you snap your Samsung phone into, specifically to play Minecraft on. I only ended up playing with it for about a week, a couple of hours a day at the time. Uh, I maybe put a total of 10 hours into it. I loved the experience overall, but was ultimately let down by the controls. I was using a Bluetooth controller similar to a console-style controller, and I'm much more of a keyboard and mouse person. I do keep eyeing the Oculus Rift S, as maybe the custom controllers they use will work out better for me than a console-style controller. I have high hopes for the future of Minecraft in VR, and I can't wait to give it another shot. Also, I have a really easy and quick fix for the rarity of Rabbit Hide with regards to bundles. Step 1. Change the name of Rabbit Hide to something more generic, like leather scraps. Step two, allow leather to break down into four leather scraps. Nice and simple. I'd love for more things to be able to be crafted from one thing, uh, more things able to be crafted to one thing to be broken back down into their component parts. Uh, This would also be a great time to let rotten flesh be smelted into leather scraps. Keep on spawning, Fildrigar. Well, thank you, Fildrigar, for uh, two excellent emails there. (laughs) Which one do you want to tackle first, Joel? Uh, I can actually jump into the VR one because I think it was it was great to hear uh, another 
player come back with thoughts and experiences in VR where definitely. you and I really haven't had the experience to do so. Uh, I am definitely looking forward to giving Minecraft and VR a try. Although this had me thinking about like, what would I prefer? Would I want to try like a VR headset with the little, I can't remember what they're called, the special Joy-Con kind of controllers that they use. Joy-Cons are the ones for Nintendo Switch, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I, yeah. I'm, not, I'm not certain what they call them for specific platforms. Yeah. There's proprietary them, terms for each one. Yeah, I they all call them the same thing. Or they all call them something different. You're right. Yeah. Um, but then uh, I also thought like, well, I would also be very comfortable because of, I mean, I can sort of feel my way around a keyboard, especially when I'm playing video games without looking. A mouse and a keyboard with a VR helmet on would be cool. Like I would kind of... I would definitely be more at home playing Minecraft with a mouse and keyboard with all the hours that I have in and then just use my head to look around. Yeah. You know, that, that would be, that would be cool as well. I don't need to be standing or whatever uh, to do that kind of stuff. Um, but uh, what I will uh, give uh, a bit of a tip to Phil Dragar, I was seriously looking at getting a VR headset instead of an Xbox series X, uh, or I was on the fence about which one I wanted because I can do art and stuff with the, with the, the VR uh, so it was a little bit more of a mix of a, of a pleasure and, and, and professional piece of kit. Uh, however, when I reached out to a number of friends that are professional podcasters in the gaming space, uh, they said that I should be looking at an Oculus Quest, not a Oculus Rift S. And the reason they gave, uh, and since then the Quest 2 has come out. The reason they gave for the Quest 1 was because with the Link Beta cable, you could plug it into your PC and get access to all of the Rift S content. And to the point where they even said that some people that have bought Rift S recently have been pissed off because they they were um, they felt that they, they bought the Rift for all this high-end content and paid the price of having to be tethered, but they could not with the Rift S unplug. Whereas the Quest 2, which has been out for a couple months now, uh, you have the ha- uh, wire-free totally onboard VR experience. But if you want to do something like for me, what the interest would be the, um, the, the Quill um, art program. Mm-hmm. And for other people, uh, it might be Minecraft. Uh, all you need to do is plug your Quest via the cable that's no longer in beta. It's, it's advertised as a feature on the Quest 2. It's plug the, the link cable into the PC and launch the, the desktop. And there's even ways to do it. There's a third-party application. It's called... Um, wireless desktop or something for, for quest and you it costs twenty dollars but you can then access your desktop you know gameplay via um, bluetooth and and wireless technology so yeah there are definitely options out there so if you're looking at a headset if you're looking at a vr headset right now I'm not saying that vr headset is done developing and you're going to get you know it's not gonna be the best forever but right now the quest 2 seems to be the best way to go um, for VR because it gives you the most flexibility. And plus then you've got this great VR headset that has lots of games and stuff that you can do besides Minecraft on it as well. Yeah, it's it's funny. I hadn't really thought, uh, considered this about how the control scheme was really going to affect the experience. Like when I think about putting something on in VR, I'm, I'm thinking way more about how disorienting it's going to feel just looking around the world and walking and potentially like falling and feeling like I should be falling in real life and I'm not. But then, yeah, the control scheme for it has got to be kind of strange, especially when a lot of VR experiences, the stuff that people say feels really good to do in VR is really built for VR from the ground up. And this is porting Minecraft into VR and trying to retroactively make it work on an, a whole new device. I think the the control scheme would really be the kind of immersion-breaking thing for me, and especially since whenever I've gone back to anything other than keyboard and mouse to play Minecraft, it's felt weird. Um, anytime I've played the Xbox version since 
moving from Xbox to PC and never really looking back, my brain immediately has a moment where I'm like, I don't know how to do this anymore. Like looking around feels totally different and scrolling through your hotbar with the bumpers instead of using, you know, a mouse scroll wheel or something or, or number keys feels very different to me. And it feels almost, it, it feels a lot more limiting. Um, but some people are just used to interfaces like that. And I expect with use, it would feel second nature. But I, I think having the early difficulty interacting with my environment would be a real hurdle for me to get over, I think, if I was trying in uh, trying to play Minecraft in VR. I still haven't had the experience, so I don't know that mm. for certain. But that's that's my initial uh, instinct, as it were. Um, I, I think people that play Bedrock on console and stuff would probably translate to VR faster yeah like you you'd, you'd be feeling more at home especially in some cases because i think and think in some games they'll have controller support so if minecraft and vr has got controller support you can just not use the the vr controllers and and just use your regular you know xbox or or playstation controller or you know bluetooth compatible pc thing then then that would probably make a world of difference too yeah, seems seems reasonable. Um, I'm still on the fence about the second part of the email, separating bundles from rabbits. Um, I, I'm still I, I still think the fact that bundles are made of specifically rabbit hide is almost one of their selling points for me. And I think providing more generic solutions means we go back to ignoring rabbits and feeling like there's another pointless mob in the game, you know? And I, I really feel like part of the fact that you need to seek out rabbits to use this new feature means that you are then reincorporating part of the game that feels like it's been neglected. I do, however, agree that easier access to bundles would mean more widespread adoption of the feature. So it's a double-edged sword, this one. I'm, I'm not certain where I stand on this because I do like the fact that it's a little bit more of a challenge and maybe something that players won't have tried before to get hold of the bundle in the first place. But then... If that's going to put people off going to find the bundle, then I feel like the leather scraps idea has some merit. Um, what do you think, Joel? So, I I don't have enough experience playing with bundles and survival to really. So I'm just kind of like coming at this from the outside. I like the idea in theory. I just wonder if because leather is just so accessible otherwise, especially if you're turning zombie hide or rotten flesh into yeah. your, I always call it zombie height. <laughs> if, if, you, if you turn rotten flesh into leather scraps, uh, then I feel like you'll just end up accessing bundles too easily. Like, yeah. you know what I mean? We, we, we discussed like that, that um, time in versus reward out thing that Mojang has spoken about before. And, and I feel like I don't, I feel like the rabbit hide might be at the, far end of it and i feel like having like leather scraps come from everything might be at the other end of it like it yeah, might be a little yeah. bit too easy uh so that, that there could be a, an issue there i do however like the idea uh of breaking things down in minecraft to their respective parts uh i think that's um it's one of the things that i really think would be it'd be a nice thing for new players if you craft something you didn't mean to and you're like oh crap i didn't necessarily want to do that and now I don't have enough diamonds or I don't have enough, you know, leather or whatever to do that kind of stuff. I've done that before where like I wanted leather for, I can't remember what I was using leather for, but I wanted it for something. And then I ended up crafting too many item frames. Like, ah, I didn't mean to craft 16 of those. I wanted yeah. that for other things. Mm -hmm. um, and I think like books, like you're crafting books and you craft too many item frames. Um, so for me, um, being able to uncraft something is would be really cool. Even if there would be like a fee, like, a you know, like I have actually, I've made a... Um, 
a custom recipe that allows me to break down horse armor and regular armor and stuff into its component parts. And uh, you would lose any enchantment, but you could also do that on purpose with a grindstone. Um, but basically the idea was like, if you, if you're end rating and you bring back a bunch of this, like stuff that you just, you're not going to wear, uh, because I don't wear diamond armor, you know, in the game. And then I just have all this stuff I can't do anything with. It doesn't stack. And so I thought, well, here's a cool idea. What if I allowed like, you know, all the players on the Citadel to break down things like horse armor and things like that into diamonds or iron or whatever they want gold. Um, and I did it one-to-one at first, but I, the other thing that you could implement if you do any kind of custom recipe like this is is that you could have it be a cost. So uh, a gold helmet costs five ingots. And if you maybe scrap it, maybe you only get three or four back, you know? Yeah. So it's not necessarily a one-to-one, uh, which would make sense in terms of like what you're doing and melting it down and whatever, um, just in terms of like the the, the theory behind it. Um, yeah. But I, I do like, I feel like, Fildergar is on to something with the leather scraps. I think maybe they just have to come from places that are not quite as accessible as zombies. You know, like yeah. I think, I, you know, I, I, and I don't, or, you know, like maybe it, it can only, I mean, maybe it's a grindstone that you have to use. Like, I don't know. I feel like you have to, I feel like you have to do more to get the scraps in order to make the bundles. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you still need to get string as well so like that that was the the weird thing that i found was another roadblock to me getting bundles in survival was that i didn't find spiders quite as early as i normally would uh so yeah there's still there's still a couple of other components to think about but i think like you say leather scraps just feels like a step too far in the other direction yeah. and and maybe just like slightly easier access to rabbits like rabbits that spawn in plains biomes more frequently might lead mm-hmm. to players discovering that a little bit sooner or at least getting put on the quest to go and find enough rabbit hide to make a bundle because they know the crafting recipe exists. Yeah. Um, I, with a triple spider spawner on the Citadel, we've had this uh, data pack recipe for so long. I forget it's not vanilla Minecraft in that uh, we can craft an uncraft string into wool uh-huh, on the yeah, server. Yeah. And I mean, it was more of a, we just can't store all this string. <laughs> like we, need, <laughs> yeah, yeah. we need to compress it, you know? And ultimately once you have a chest full of string, you're fine. You don't need much more, you know, in most game you know instances so you know being able to craft wool without having to shear sheep was fantastic because then you have a a much faster you know sheep farm in terms of like you know turning string into into wool yeah um but um but yeah like i I know what you mean about uh like the 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 timing of everything like the, the breaking down of everything yeah um on the subject of uncrafting before we move on here um twilight forest as a mod has the um an uncrafting table in it that has quite an interesting solution to the uh potential like power of something like that in that if you have for example let's say um a stack of 16 iron bars that you want to turn back into six iron ingots that we use to make the recipe for each of those iron bars that you get back or iron ingots you need to pay one XP level. So effectively, whatever amount right. of stuff you're getting out, you pay that much in XP levels. If you wanted to, this would be a stupid thing because you can do this in your inventory anyway, but if you uncrafted a gold block into nine gold ingots, you'd have to pay nine XP levels for that. Maybe huh. a, a better example might be a gold chest plate, right? You you craft a gold chest plate back into eight gold ingots, you get yourself eight gold ingots back but you lose eight xp levels it's an interesting balance to it and probably negated by end game level xp farms at a certain point 
and I think you still, if, if say, like a chest plate has half durability, you can only get four gold ingots back out of it. So that there are limits to that kind of, uh, you know, uncrafting mechanic, but it's an interesting way of balancing that, I thought. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, next email is also related to Rabbit Hide. comes from Storm Dance. And uh, hey, Pix and Joel, I just recently caught up with your podcast and I'm really enjoying it. I was listening to your most recent episode where you were discussing how challenging it is to get each rabbit hide to make a bundle and that like rabbit hide the user uh, the use of beeswax and candles gives a fun new use of an old feature i wanted to bring up the killing rabbits is not the only source of rabbit hide tamed cats also have a chance to bring you rabbit hide while it's not the the fastest source of rabbit hide around it's much less effort than catching and breeding a whole bunch of rabbits and can be done passively do you think that the developers may have been thinking of this mechanic as well as when they put together uh, the bundle recipe? Thanks for the great podcast, Storm Dance. Yeah. I also want to give a shout, shout out to Charlie C, who wrote in with a similar concern about a more peaceful way to get rabbit hide. Yeah, um, I, I, I looked this up on the Minecraft wiki because I'll be honest, I haven't really messed around with the gift giving mechanics of cats. I normally avoid having too many pets in Minecraft anyway. Uh, although there is an advancement for taming all 11 types of cat, and I think on Bedrock Edition there's an achievement for taming 20 village cats, although they don't have to all be in the same world. Um, so there is a 70% chance to receive a gift from a cat if you have the if the cat is not sat down somewhere so if it is free to roam it comes and hangs out on the bed with you and then in the morning there is a 70 percent chance that it's dropped an item somewhere nearby uh there are seven different items they can bring you and there is a 16 percent chance of that being rabbit height i think the others are rabbit's foot string spider eyes there's a couple of others i think phantom membrane is the rare one um so i guess each night there's about an 11% chance you receive some rabbit hide, which is still not much, but then I guess you could get a lot of cats, and then potentially in the morning they'll leave you like three or four. So that is certainly an option, and it would be an option if you encountered a village but you couldn't find a snow plains or a desert or any of the easier places to farm rabbits en masse. So again, with their not just being one way to acquire a lot of these basic resources if we're thinking of them that way i think it probably makes sense and the developers have thought of yeah there are different ways you can get rabbit hide other than just running around slaughtering rabbits with a sword right yeah i agree how feasible do you think this would be in survival like i i don't have any experience with bundles yet in survival although i'm hoping to change that with the next snapshot do you like would it be more time efficient to just keep looking for a desert or a snow plains and get a rabbit honestly i think yes just because of the randomness of cats and how um you know how infrequently they would drop the rabbit hide because i found a desert probably within i'd say two or three nights on a new world i think i got to the desert within the first hour so that'd be three in-game days if i didn't sleep and you have to get to the point where you can sleep through the night for cats to give you these gifts. They won't do it if you sleep during thunderstorms, so there's no exceptions made there. And yeah, I, I think it's the kind of thing that is fine to farm it passively if you have a lot of cats and you're just gonna, you know, click on a bed repeatedly. But I think in the early game, you're still moving around frequently enough that you're not gonna be settled in that one place. And this seems like a good way of stumbling upon rabbit hide incidentally, rather than it being a 
reliable way to get bundles in the early game. I think you're still going to want to go and find a desert or a snow plains. If you want bundles, you know they're there, and it's one of the things you want to do in early game before moving on. I think maybe rabbit hide could be a, a way for slightly more casual players, people who just want like the experience of living in their Minecraft world for a while before they really go out resource gathering. I think they could maybe stumble upon the bundle recipe that way. And cats will also bring you string. So they do bring you both parts of the bundle recipe right now. Um, hmm. Yeah, it, it'll be interesting to see if players go with that. And it might be something that I try, but I feel like a lot of the time... I don't always find a village right away and it's more common for me to find one of the you know rabbit hunting biomes before i would find a village yeah that makes a lot of sense uh i'm, I'm laughing in ginger lily in our chat who says that you know cats if i want them to bring rabbit hide they will bring anything but <laughs> yes it's <laughs> absolutely the cat way isn't it it's, it's yeah, do, yeah, yeah. do the exact opposite of what you want them to do at the time um so yeah i i think there is there is maybe potential for it and I think if you're not concerned with getting a bundle right away, but like I said, you do want to just hang out in your Minecraft world a little bit and the kind of, you know, early early game with newer players to the game, they want to just kind of adopt pets and, and live that kind of like house life for a while. I expect they'll probably stumble into bundles that way. And if they didn't know they existed beforehand, they've probably just been throwing all their stuff in a chest. Now it might be a uh, a fun way to start interacting with those kind of mechanics i will say that when i was working on my museum and i just kind of done a little bit of detailing and i was working with all of these uh you know quartz stairs and slabs and stuff trying to get these pixel art representations of tools right i did find myself with a bunch of like threes and fours of items in my inventory just cluttering up the entire thing and i i, I opened my inventory and went you know what bundle <laughs> could really go with a bundle right now and so yeah i i think now that i know they exist I'm really starting to appreciate their utility and almost miss them from current vanilla gameplay. Hmm, interesting. Uh, let's move on to the next email, though. This one, again, concerns some 1.17 mechanics. This one comes from Archimedes himself, which is yeah, a blast from the past, I suppose. Uh, the subject here being <laughs> brushing copper, uh, presumably for use in some kind of uh, you know water-gathering contraption. Here we go. Uh, Johnny and Joel, it would be great if the archaeology brush could remove oxidation. Uh, a downside would be that it unwaxes waxed copper. Additionally, maybe having a water bottle would accelerate the oxidation it would be amazing to have a way to fast forward and rewind the copper rust oh and by the way uh, setting random tick speed to a thousand still has no impact on copper so even in creative with commands the oxidation is still absurdly slow archimedes himself <laughs> that's the sign off we're getting i i, I like that is as a as a an online moniker as a username then that is uh, quite grandiose very very good um one of the first things I tried doing with copper was, um, I think I mentioned this on the show even, was fast forwarding the time of day using commands. So I would, you know, do time add 24,000, which is like the amount of game ticks that are in a full Minecraft day. And I just did that multiple times up until the limit of when they said copper should transform, which was after about, um, you know, 80 minutes or something like that. It was like... Uh, uh, no, it was, it was it was something a lot more than that actually. I, c I can't remember exactly, but it was uh, more like eighty-two in-game days, right? Was was how long it would take on. There was the a outside. range, but yeah, that's about it. Yeah, it was like fifty to eighty days, and so I went as far as about eighty, eighty-two days, and none of the copper had changed. So 
it does seem to rely specifically on sheer amount of game ticks passed since you placed that block. So random tick speed, which only I think impacts things like crop growth and you know vines and plants and that kind of stuff, um, is not going to have any impact on copper whatsoever. I'm I'm not surprised to hear that. It does just seem to be like a timer starts when you place that block, and once the timer reaches however many game ticks of real time that is uh when the the copper is going to age a stage it does seem really slow right now but i feel like that's also what they're going for in a way um yep. yeah uh, and and i'm I'm sure like y- you must have had a few people chiming in on this in your in your community when it comes to uh you know people th- sharing their thoughts about about copper have people been talking about this in your streams and stuff uh, not on the streams with the medieval stuff, but the last couple streams where there were snapshots live on Wednesday where I popped in for like, you know, the last hour or so to mess around yeah. the snapshots. We totally got into it. And and yeah, uh, between that and and the discussion in my, my own Discord, I'm noticing unsurprising slash anecdotal because it's a small community um the feedback being that most people feel like it takes us to takes too long. Uh, I like you agree that this is Moyang's intent. Yeah, I just think that most people are not going to like it, <laughs> and I think that that Mojang has to um, prepare for some some long complaints. Like I, I think it's going to take a long time for players to either be happy with it or just shrug and accept it. Uh, because, and correct me if I'm wrong, if a copper block is oxidizing and not waxed, when you pick it up, does that then reset? Or I mean, is it, does it, does it stay, it stays the current state, but then when you put it back down, it will continue on down the line. Yeah. I mean, I would presume that when you pick it up, whatever timer is running in the background that, you know, is tracking how long it's been is going to reset to zero because if you place it down, it's like you're placing a new block of that material. Yeah. Because otherwise the game would have to save, I mean, presumably say it's tracked by NBT data. You'd have to save that for every block of copper and then they wouldn't stack together either because when you place something from a stack, it is assumed that it has exactly the same properties of the block next to it, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, So (laughs) I imagine it would be incredibly demanding data-wise to save that for every block of copper, presuming players are going to be building with a stack or more of the stuff. But also, I think from a, a logistical standpoint, it'd be a nightmare. So I do think once you've got semi-weathered copper, let's say, for example, if you pick that up, you're going to have to reset the timer to zero when you put it back down, and it's going to take another 80 in-game days to turn into fully weathered copper, right? Right. Yeah, yeah. So so the, I, I guess the, the thing that people are looking for is like, how do I get the copper oxidation that I want and and have it be quick and easy uh in survival uh and have it not be something that i have to 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 deal with like great length of time and i i like i can i hear that like i understand that complaint because like i definitely want to play around with copper but how much of a time sink in survival to get the right level of copper oxidation that i want will determine how often i use it yeah like am, am i am i creating a small copper farm where i lay it all out and i just set a timer while i'm streaming for a couple hours and and go back and check it you know and say all right this is at the stage that it's at i'm going to go around and i'm going to wax everything that i want waxed and then that will just be my stock of semi-weathered copper and i will use it sparingly to trim things maybe put a little you know range hood in a kitchen like maybe i'll use it very little because i can't imagine this being something i'm going to build walls out of you know um 
not that it doesn't look good, but like because of the just the sheer pain in the butt of having to get it. Yeah. Um, so until you know, until the Sidecraft folks come up with a oh, here's how you make ten thousand semi-weathered copper an hour. Like I, I think that we're we're all kind of like, well, you know, the work in and reward out here is not really that great. <laughs> you know, like yeah, it's, it's am... a lot of time. Um, and I guess the other thing too is that it's not exciting. It's not like you're running around the end fighting and gathering shulker boxes, right? Like you're you're just waiting. You know, yeah, I am. I am kind of like you mentioned Psycraft, and as as somebody who has kind of grown a little bit weary of everybody insisting that I do things the optimal and efficient way in my yeah. YouTube series and on my streams, I'm actually kind of delighted that this is something that you can't farm quickly, and mm -hmm. that it now becomes like this waiting game. And I'm sure you could design farms which will you know will end up farming this stuff pretty well like one one example i can think of right is to have a set of observers around a bunch of the copper that you're trying to weather and then maybe having one of those like t take random samples of them and so it's not just like when one block oxidizes the entire thing gets demolished by tnt for example because tnt will drop 100 percent of the blocks now um you don't necessarily do that, but you take like three or four observers and when the state change happens in multiple of them, then that's the point at which it starts to trigger the system. And so like it waits for the majority of the blocks to oxidize before they get blown up by the TNT and gathered and then you can go back and assess how much semi-weathered copper you have now. That there's, there's potential for stuff like that, but it's, it's a long game. And I, I think it's kind of delightful that there is now a material that can't be mass farmed within seconds in the same way that you could do, you know, zero tick farms before and that kind of stuff. It's it's now a little bit more of a a design challenge that they haven't had to consider before to to factor in that length of time before the block is going to look how you want. And I agree with you. Like, I like the idea of, because I, I mean, I, I'm a really chill player, you know, and I've had that compliment, which I, I take to heart, you know, on my streams lately in that um, I think that there's a dangerous, and dangerous is the wrong word. I think that there's a unfortunate trend in Minecraft content to be pump out content and builds and do everything as fast and as efficiently as you can. And that mindset is um something that i compare to when i'm watching um like a, a paint time lapse like when i'm learning how to do some photoshop stuff yeah. and i'm watching somebody and even though the artist will say this is a six hour painting i have sped this video up three times and i do not paint this fast i still my brain watching them work and listening to them do the voiceover when i go to then practice something i get frustrated that it's not coming together as fast as i think it should because my brain just remembers that that thing went by so quickly and i think with you know with the amount of youtube content that i consume around minecraft and a lot of these builds that are going up in 20 minute episodes when they're they're not you know just as well as anybody else that there's a huge amount of you know work behind the scenes that goes mm -hmm. into anything uh, I mean, this water wheel thing that I worked on, I've done it three streams. It's like 12 hours for this yeah. one building. Yeah. Uh, you know, and so stuff like that. I don't, I don't mind taking my time in Minecraft. And I think that I, like you, I applaud the idea of like Mojang saying, all right, slow down. Life is to be savored, you know? Mm -hmm. um, shout out to my WoW fans out there. <laughs> and and uh, 
but I think that the majority of Minecraft players, the culture that I observe online, will unanimously shout back, no. Yeah. <laughs> like, uh-huh. I think they're they're going uphill. <laughs> I, I admire their, their gusto, but I, I don't know what the balance is. Uh, I'm on their side. I, I, I like the idea of it. I just don't know how they're going to execute it. But I mean, that's again, that's why these snapshots are happening so far out. That's why they're inviting, you know, player feedback on on how to do this. Uh, I can't think of anything right now because, I mean, I think the easy solution is speed it up. Well, that's not what they want to do. Like you yeah, want to totally. have some you want to have some other way of of getting this kind of stuff. And I I like I kind of wonder, like, wh- what if what if there's like a new rare structure like we have jungle temples and desert temples and um witch huts and that kind of stuff what if there was a copper structure that would have blocks in it that are a predetermined age and they wouldn't change like they're already waxed you know blocks and if you could find said structure then you can get some you know but it's rare so you're not going to be able to farm it like it's still it's like finding a dungeon you know like it's 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 that kind of a thing because I always get excited when I find dungeons in early game because of the mossy cobble. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So you know? I, I think it'd be really interesting to find like a, yeah, a copper, even if it's just incorporated into an existing structure like a pillager outpost or something like that. There being kind of copper accents in there that yeah. are slightly weathered. It it could be it could be fun to to find that stuff and and not have to wait for it. But also, yeah, I I think people are going to learn to wait for it, and it'll really be interesting to see how that changes the way people approach builds and farming for this kind of resource uh let's move on to talking about the tweets that we've seen this week though in lieu of snapshot discussion because it's uh yeah we've had no snapshot but there are a few things that developers have been teasing that they're working on right now mostly stuff we saw at minecraft live but it's nice to know that some of these features are being tested for potentially a snapshot release relatively soon um so you you pick this out in in particular so do you want to go down the line and talk about what we've seen sure uh i i'm going to give a shout out of course to uh exumavoid um, friend of the show um because i uh used his video <laughs> to catch up on all uh-huh. the things uh and uh in uh, in the link to the youtube video which we'll have in the show notes there's also links to all the tweets uh, i've picked out uh, about a half dozen or so that I think are um, are important, but most of it is um, just like texture, uh, snapshots on Twitter, uh, like just um, screenshots, and, and then, sorry, snapshot was the wrong word, uh, screenshots, and then uh, Heinrich Kinberg also uh, shared um, some videos of stalactites uh, in in motion, and King B-Dogs, uh, Brandon Pierce uh, shared uh, some, some video and some screenshots of new Skulk, uh, textures and uh, I guess not performances, but like um, what's the word I'm looking at? Like visual interface. So um, to go back and start with the tough texture, which I think is getting the most attention. Yeah. Uh, the basically there's been some feedback. We had similar feedback. People don't tend to like the the, the tough texture as it is in the snapshot. So um, so Jappa said like, hey, here's one of of tough that's closer to cobblestone it still has a bluish tint and um it looks like a combination of like cobblestone and andesite yeah and i feel like uh if you put the three of them together it would actually look pretty good there's even a shot where up against cobblestone uh, there's lighter portions of the tough that actually overlap and make it look like it has a nice jagged integration like when people do um overlapping textures and optifying it almost yeah. looks like that natively in, in Minecraft, which I think is great. 
it's it's different. It's not the same as cobblestone. It has more of a scaly look to it almost, um, but it does work well with it. It appears to. I do find it hard to make any kind of judgments on textures other than like, well, it looks cool. You know, in, in screenshots, I tend to need to want to grab it and play with it and, and put it next to a bunch of things before I can really get a feel for it. Um, but it looks good to me. I'm not sure what you thought about it. Yeah, I think the the tough texture debate, I'll call it, uh, presents that problem with adding new stone blocks to Minecraft in that it's like, right now, the one that we have is unique but blends poorly into the color palette that we're used to and the kind of stuff that players will immediately want to use it for, which is texturing stone builds. Um, and then the new texture, or, or rather the texture that Jappa showcased uh, in these tweets and screenshots that, you know, is potentially too like the others but blends really well right so it like there are some people saying that they'd probably just ignore it because cobblestone was easier to find and that you're not really going to plan for that to appear in builds because you know you, you'd have to find a geode to get hold of a decent amount of this stuff to begin with and then i i can see the the appeal though because i do think the original tough block didn't really blend well with nearly anything that i tried to pair it with i i think just about mossy cobblestone but that was as close as i could get to something that worked well from a distance and close up mm -hmm. it was very easy to see the joint i think the difference being that a lot of players are working with these textures close up and so the joins between blocks when they are different blocks are going to be really obvious um yeah i can see the alternate texture being very useful to blend with cobblestone and basalt um but I can see it being overlooked when cobblestone will do. Um, and yeah, I, I, I don't quite know how I feel about it. Again, like like the rabbit hide thing, I'm, I'm on the fence about it being made more accessible because it feels so unique already. Um, but yeah, maybe some sort of middle ground can be met. I'm not certain. I feel like the feedback on that tweet was almost split 50-50 with people saying, yeah, this looks too much like cobblestone. And oh, the blend though. I think that was the main thing, really, is just how well it blended yeah. into the blocks around it. And I think that boils down to the fact that what they... Ch I mean, yes, they changed the texture to be a lot more like cobblestone, and I agree that it does look very similar, um, but they also dialed the color back to be closer to the cobblestone... Uh, sorry, the cobblestone, stone, andesite kind of like range. And while I don't necessarily want yet another 50% gray block, and this is a little bit lighter than that, which is good, um, I, I feel like... Uh, that's the thing. Like you can do all kinds of cool stuff with the texture, but if you want to really have things work well, color harmony is something I talk about on the show a lot. And that to me is where things either stand out like a sore thumb because they're too blue or they're too purple uh, when they're supposed to be gray. Uh, and and it's less about it's less about the texture and often more about the color, you know, temperature. Yeah. Um, but in this case, they did both. They brought it back in color temperature and they changed the texture to be closer to cobblestone. I would say... I mean, I'm intrigued to play with it like, like that in a snapshot. I hope they include that in the new snapshot or a version thereof um, because I think that would be more fun to play with. Uh, I I really am... I get frustrated when you see like new stones like this and then you don't get like slabs, stairs. You don't get even like brick. Like what? that's cool that you get tough, but can you turn four tough into some sort of brick that would be new and cool? Mm -hmm. Like, because that, that kind of stuff, I know it just adds more blocks to deal with uh in in the in the scheme of things but like i feel like when it's a full block and it's only a full block it it then becomes like well i can use it but i really can't use it in that many places yeah you know 
But uh, anyway, uh, moving on, we can take a look at uh, the tweets from Heinrich. Oh, I think it's uh, Nyberg. Is that how you pronounce his name? Uh, I'm not certain. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah uh, stal- these are with uh, stalactites. Stalactites. Yeah. I I was curious about these because I think in Minecraft Live they had only showed mobs falling onto stalagmites, the ones that you know rise up from the floor. Whereas in this case, it was them falling from the ceiling and killing a zombie. Or a whole cluster of zombies in one case. And yeah. um, Azuma has a couple of observations as well about the stalactite blocks that you find there that aren't the kind of, the you know, the cross-shaped entities. Um, and and, and that, that was kind of interesting to see a bit more of that as well because we saw them in the screenshots of, of the Caves and Cliffs update when we looked at it at Minecraft Live. And I wasn't sure how those textures were going to integrate. They sort of looked like a different take on granite. And that was kind of interesting, but they didn't blend super well with the stone around them. But either way, the mechanics of stalagmites and stalactites, I think, are going to be more interesting to play with. And mm. the main thing that concerns me is the the insta-kill factor, we'll call it, because they seem to be lethal to basically anything, or at least the zombies that they've been testing it on and the and the player, an unarmored player, taking a stalactite straight to the, the skull is going to be insta-killed uh, according to the tests that they're putting out right now and i don't yeah. know if, i don't know if that's going to be the case uh when the full release comes out or if that's going to be adjusted but i get the impression that those are just going to be the go-to kill mechanism for mob farms after a while and you find a cave that's full of these things that you can take home you're basically set for a while um that that's the main thing really for me is is at what point does that mechanic feel unbalanced is it you know does it matter depending on how much distance the thing falls or or what and it was clear that some of the blocks could be destroyed by a a tnt blast uh, but the ones that were still there would still fall and still be as lethal as something that had a few extra stalactite blocks behind it you know what i mean like they Mm -hmm. all they all tend to fall together and and regardless of how much material falls it one hit kills a zombie yeah, and I don't know whether that's like insta kill for everything, or whether the damage that it's dealing just exceeds that of the player with no armor and a zombie. You yeah, know, like it, so that you know twenty twenty one twenty two hits of damage, something like that. But if you've got a decent helmet on and a chest plate, does that mean that you won't die? Yeah, just take I, you'll just take a lot of damage. Like I don't know. I have a feeling with how much they've been touting the warden's strength. If you just lured this thing into a pit of stalagmites and it got insta killed, I have a feeling that'd be a little unbalanced. So yeah, no, I, that's true. I have a feeling that, like you say, it could be a high level of damage, or it could be that it's only temporary. But I do find it kind of strange that lava doesn't instantly kill you, but a stalactite falling on you would. Maybe it's, yeah. it's piercing damage or something. I don't know, but it seems yeah. a, a little bit strange to me still. Yeah, uh, I I was looking forward to maybe seeing a different kind of model for them, but it's the same sort of like, you know, cross polygon um, thing yeah. that we've seen uh, featured in the past. Uh, I, I don't see myself using a lot of the stalactite, stalagmite stuff uh in in the game like it, it it'll be fun for decorating but i don't know if i'm going to bother with it from a mechanic standpoint uh because yeah. i think that they would have to adjust it somehow because i mean maybe it's great that you can drop a zombie onto a stalagmite and it insta dies but if you I mean, or if it's a skeleton but if you can't collect the bones somehow you know like if you can't um like what happens if you've got a 
a, a two block high stalagmite and a can they be waterlogged can you have a little river that's going to wash away the items like like there's a bunch of stuff that i don't know about whether or not it's you can actually collect stuff the drops from mobs when you kill them yeah uh, I, things I think, like that i think right now it's the kind of thing that is just going to be all player speculation until we get access to these in yeah. snapshots, snapshots and then from that point on it's going to be right what can we do with these how useful mm -hmm. are they how you know what what are the limitations to it you know how, how does yeah. it end up being incorporated into survival gameplay I, i'm assuming they're not going to fall on their own um because if you wanted to decorate the roof of your cool cave with these and it becomes a death trap that would not be a good feeling <laughs> yes and, and know? they they have said that they're going to be able to drip water and fill up cauldrons as well so i presume right. that if if that mechanic's going to stay in place then they will probably have it be uh a permanent fixture oh, instead man. of something that's going to weather over time now this wasn't part of these little videos this is pure speculation and finger crossing at my on my part but we've talked a lot about sound design in the nether and on the show in the last few months and just the idea of the sound of like little cave drips happening mm -hmm. as you're walking through one of these environments like how cool would that be absolutely really I, immersive you know I, I really think they'll have missed a trick if they don't add some cave ambient stuff and and beyond what we have already with the kind of the the ghostly sounds that occur when you are near a cave and you're sort mm -hmm. of exploring i think having some sort of like you know more jungle-like ambient sound happening when you enter a lush cave or yeah the the sort of distant echoey drip of of water when you enter a dripstone cave i think is going to be essential to the experience and the immersion of the cave update so i'm, I'm yeah. really hoping we get something similar to what we got with the nether with uh, king big dogs and the uh, skulk sensors uh they're looking a little bit more blue they've moved away from the kind of more turquoisey um color it's subtle but you can see it when they're side by side yeah uh i feel like um this takes them a little bit away from com like being compared to the end kind of content like they don't look like ender pearl type material or end portal related they as when they're more blue it looks a little bit more unique i think yeah and, uh, and which is cool but also i thought that would be kind of fun to tie them together there was still a block in there that looked like it had endstone texture along the bottom of it and I'm, I'm still not entirely certain what these blocks are so i i don't know how far we can go talking about that and and, and their relationship yet um and I, I personally i'm much more interested in how skulk behaves than how it looks because there are various blocks in king b dog's hotbar in these videos and one of them seems to be the kind of like almost like the equivalent of the mossy carpet but for blocks that are almost being infested by this skulk it sort of looks like it's growing over them like a fungus of some kind and does that then convert any block into a skulk block at that stage and how how does the the relationship between all of these blocks function or is that just aesthetic right now that's mm -hmm. the stuff that interests me and then obviously the sensors themselves have a lot going on but i think it's kind of you know a, a behavior-based thing and and much like the copper how do we end up farming this is it an age thing how slowly or quickly does this stuff grow if that's how it grows and visually it is very much implied that it grows uh right yeah. now i like the indication from from the skulk centers like when they do their thing and they receive or send a noise you can see like a little wave pattern that goes from one to the other uh yeah and i also like the fact that when one is hit by those sound patterns there's a little redstone sparkle 
Yes. And that's a nice visual indication to the player that this interacts with redstone. Yes. Right? If, if it's if it's something that you haven't been following already and you don't know that, it, it does kind mm. of cue you into the fact that, oh, hey, these are these are effectively redstone components. Yeah. Um, I, I also like how much the full block textures are animated. They have that kind of like blue dot twinkle kind of thing going on. That mm -hmm. I, we haven't really seen if these blocks are if it's covered like that on all six faces of the block but there does seem to be um you know overlap around the edges for some of the full blocks of what i guess is just skulk um and so it'd make for a really neat like crystal cave ceiling if you just wanted some like twinkling crystals catching the light in a cave it'd be really cool if that was on all six faces of the block and it wasn't about to infest all of the stone around it or, or something like that so i i'm interested in yeah I, just getting hold of these and, and seeing how exactly the mechanics around the blocks themselves beyond the sensors being a redstone component, how all of that is going to work. Mm -hmm. uh, and speaking of it kind of growing and spreading, I, I know Exumavoid uh, mentioned this in his video, and I agree in that uh, the, the texture of, I guess, the skulk sort of spreading, uh, it looks like the same kind of um, icon you'd have in your hotbar that would be like a vine, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and we know that we're getting moss in the new update. We haven't seen it in any snapshots yet, but we've seen it in, in, in screenshots and in, in, in Minecraft Live. Uh, it's pretty square. Like even, like it feels a lot more like a bush texture than it does uh, even a vine texture, you know? And I feel like if they want it to look like it's spreading, they, they should maybe look at having a, a less hard edge to that one texture that seems to be overlapping the grass. It yeah. feels very very stiff it doesn't feel like what's possible with we'll say modern pixel art you know yeah yeah it, it's it's difficult as well because you don't want to get too far away from the blocky aesthetic of minecraft and when players tend to blend that stuff you sort of start to you you overlook the way that everything is just a one block mm -hmm. side by side because a, a lot of the time you're sort of you're, you're dithering it in large block kind of areas instead of um you know in individually with the block textures so mm -hmm. it, it'll, it'll be interesting to see what compromises they can make there but they're clearly still tinkering with the the textures and and how everything behaves so fingers crossed for a snapshot maybe next week or the week after where we actually get to uh, get hold of some of this stuff and play with it for the first time um i still get the impression that we're not going to see things like dripstone caves and uh, lush caves and and maybe the skulk even if it's associated with the deep dark specifically until they figured out what's happening with cave generation and i could be mm -hmm. wrong here but i have a feeling that those are really going hand in hand at this point and whatever cave generation ends up looking like is probably going to be when we start seeing uh lush caves and so forth in the snapshots yeah but yeah i agree uh, I think that's going to be all we have time for today for this episode of The Spawn Chunks. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, there are more information about the show and links to some of the stuff that we talked about today at thespawnchunks.com. The music for the show was composed by me and The Spawn Chunks is proud as ever to be a listener-supported podcast. If you're getting some value out of the show, if you're enjoying listening to our speculation and discussion about the snapshots and all of the new stuff that's coming to Minecraft, consider putting some value back in by visiting patreon.com slash thespawnchunks and joining our community. Pledging at any level there gets you an invite to our patrons-only Discord chat. You can listen to the show live every week 
Uh, and you can also get us closer to our next milestone goal, which is the monthly Minecraft audio hangout, where we would just hang out with the folks in uh, the Discord, much as we're doing now, and just shoot the breeze about what we've been doing in Minecraft that week. Uh, we're currently at 217 patrons, which is another increase from last week. Thank you so much to everyone who has just jumped on board. And special thanks go out to our content engineers, General Pattern 82, Greener Canuck, Hunter 555, JD Williamson, Jumbo Sale, and Yitz for your support on this episode. Sharing the podcast with your friends is the easiest way to support the show. It is free. You can find us at The Spawn Chunks on Twitter and Instagram. But a personal recommendation is by far the best way to share the podcast with your friends. Just poke a friend in the arm from a safe distance and tell them about The Spawn Chunks and where they can go to listen. You can subscribe on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. And you can email the show at spawnchunkmail at gmail.com. The RSS feed is on the spawnchunks.com and the patron-only RSS feed is on the Patreon page and that is where you can listen to the render distance, the extended version of the podcast. My name is Johnny, but online I go by Pixelriffs. You can find most of what I do at youtube.com slash Pixelriffs, where I attempt to make sense of this crazy and wonderful game in a museum currently being built in my Minecraft Survival <laughs> Guide series. I stream three days, a week on, uh, three days a week on Twitch, also doing behind-the-scenes work for the museum, uh, and I'm the voice of the unofficial Hermitcraft recap, which you can find through a quick YouTube search. Aside from that, I'm at Pixelriffs on both Twitter and Instagram. Joel, where can people find you online? Everything I do online, including my illustration and design portfolio, is at joelduggan.com. You can also listen to my other podcast, The Citadel Cafe, at thecitadelcafe.com. I'm going to be joined by my friend Alistair and James this week. We're going to be talking about Star Trek Discovery Season 3. You can also follow me at joelduggan on social media and, of course, twitch.tv slash joelduggan, where I am building water wheels. Thanks for visiting the Spawn Chunks. The world outside is infinite. It's going to be tough. Mm -hmm.